Hi, I'm Mallory, host of From the Farm podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Luke, I had the pleasure of working with you for almost a year at Ohio Corn and Wheat. Um, And a lot of the conversations surrounding policy and just the new and up and coming trends was the, you know, carbon credits and the elusive um, cloud that they were. Uh, There was a lot of questions that we were trying to get answered and that we had for ourselves. What's changed? What's been answered? answered? Is it still a big elusive thing? Uh, What has Ohio Corn and Wheat figured out? Well, first off, we had the pleasure of working with you. Um, You know, Mallory, you brought so much energy to the team and you were such a joy to work with. And you're right. When you came on board with Ohio Corner Wheat, it was really kind of not right at the beginning, but just after the beginning of of us really hearing about these emerging carbon markets across the state. You know, we had, uh, you know, as a team been out at Commodity Classic in early 2020 and several of our board members, um, you know, small grain growers, corn growers were approached about these opportunities that were emerging primarily through for-profit entities at the time. And we didn't know a lot about any of this at the time. But fast forward about three months into COVID, we started seeing more and more of this conversation happening. This is long before uh, the 2020 election happened. This is long before the change in administration. Uh, That's really important to keep in mind that these these things were in motion, but they were very nascent. They were very early in their development. And what's happened in the past year, we've seen a growth in the discussion about it, but we've also seen an acknowledgement in those discussions that there are still way too many questions that growers can't answer, right? And that's that's really what's developed. We're seeing a move toward more and more uh, entities like Ohio Corn and Wheat, uh, Ohio Soybean, uh, some of our national partners really starting to dive in and answer some of the economic questions that are so important for us to answer for our growers. You know, what's the return on investment actually going to be? Not only for, you know, the credit that you can sell, but how are these practices going to impact your yields? How are they going to benefit you uh, long-term? And that's, that's really where we are. And, you know, six months from now, I think we're going to be even further along in this process. There might be legislation that passes by then that helps put some uh, guardrails up on these markets. But you've seen really through your time with Ohio Corn and Wheat and since Mallory, the, the evolution, I mean, from knowing almost nothing about nothing to knowing almost nothing about something now. That's the bet. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, my dad was talking to me a couple months ago when he had heard about it, our farm had been approached. And he was like, Mallory, you should really jump on this and just like be an absolute expert. Like they think that would be a great asset for you as a young professional. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't know enough to be dangerous yet, but I know someone who does. So uh, Luke, let's just jump in. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and who, who we're listening to and talking with today? Well, again, Mallory, thanks for asking me to be on. Uh, pleasure to, to see you and speak with you again. Um, you know, I am the director of public policy at Ohio Corn and Wheat. 
My name is Luke Crumley. I am from central Ohio, uh, was born and raised here, uh, did not grow up in the agriculture community, though. I grew up in the suburbs of Columbus, um, you know, in a um, lower middle income family, uh, did my schooling there on the southwest side of Columbus, went to Otterbein for my undergraduate degree, then went off to the Marine Corps for a while and served as an officer in the Marine Corps, came back to central Ohio to pursue a master's in public policy. Um, leverage that into an opportunity to work for a couple members of Congress here in Central Ohio, and have been working in the political realm ever since. I have, you know, about a decade, a little over a decade of experience here in Ohio politics and federal politics. And at Ohio Corn and Wheat, I leverage that experience to advise our board, our grower leaders on political strategy. Uh, I help them navigate uh, working with a political action committee. Um, I also help develop some of our, our policy strategy and our, our goal setting for the board and help them figure out what their priorities are. And it, it's really about identifying what the, the, uh, the goals of the growers are. It's not about the staff. It's about what do the growers want to achieve. So the, the public policy piece of my title usually makes a lot of sense to folks. They kind of assume what that, that role entails, but I'm also uh, in charge of our nutrient management profile. And that's nowadays really all things sustainability. Started off mostly as the focus on water quality, but as these carbon markets are evolving, like we just talked about, we're seeing this broader idea of sustainability come out, right? And that nutrient management piece is now water quality, carbon markets, all things sustainability, how does sustainability play into new markets? It, it's really kind of ballooning as it goes here. Uh, but been with Ohio Corn and Wheat now about two years, really love this team, love the growers that we get to work for. Uh, you know, there are 30,000 some grain producers here in Ohio and they need a voice. And I'm here to, to help them use the voice that they already have. Yeah, well, you just teed up my next question really well. So thank you. Um, let's look at the lens of an Ohio grain farmer, an Ohio grower. What do they need to know or what do I need to know as a, as a grain you know, farming family when it comes to carbon credits? Um, and what do you know on behalf of them and what research is OCW doing? Yeah. I would say the most important thing for them to recognize right now, they probably already know this, but they, they need to very directly recognize that these markets are still very early in their development. And what I tell them today could look very different a year from now. And if they're hesitant about jumping into a market, I get it. Uh, and just about everyone I talk to in the field understands that because growers right now don't know the true value of one of these credits because no one knows the true value of one of these credits. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of discrepancy in this because in the, the carbon market world, so far, the only markets that really exist uh, in depth are forestry credits. And those are valued higher than agricultural credits because of a couple of different factors like permanence, uh, which, uh, you know, guarantees that carbon is going to be sequestered longer term. And getting familiar with some of those terms getting familiar with um, you know, a glossary of terms and the questions that the grower should ask are what's most important right now. Uh, and that's, that's where Ohio corn and wheat has, has landed so far. Back in January of 2021, the grower leaders on the boards for the Ohio Corn Marketing Program, the Ohio Small Grains Marketing Program, and the Corn and Wheat Growers Association. So that full uh, alliance of those three organizations said, we all have questions on this. 
we all have a different role to play. You know, the Growers Association is there to work on policy. The marketing boards are there to look at research, education, and, and you know, helping our growers understand their market potential, right? And those, those missions are all going to be informed by the same sets of data about these carbon markets. So what our grower leaders did, they launched what we called a strike team. And this was a, an idea that you know, I'm a big fan of with my time in the Marine Corps. When we had a problem that a lot of people needed to get to understand, we would bring them all around the table in what we called a tiger team. And those tiger teams would get smart on the issue and make recommendations. And that's what these strike teams do. So you know, at the same time that they launched a carbon market strike team, we had one focused on ethanol and on uh, vomitoxin, which I'm sure you'd be um, bringing some folks on to talk about those strike teams in the future. But the, that strike team brought together our grower leaders, our staff, uh, some outside experts, some representatives from our national partners like NCGA and the National Association of Wheat Growers, and we all dug into the problem together. And what we walked away from with that research on, on carbon markets is, A, growers need to know what to ask, and B, they need a living resource that they can reference uh, as they continue to evaluate these. And that's what we delivered with a website, ohiocornerwheat.org slash carbon is a website where folks can go and look at a glossary of terms so they can get smart on things like additionality and what that means. But there's also a list of 16 questions that we generated. And those 16 questions help get to the core uh, core issues that we think most growers are going to bump into. What should I be asking about duration of term? What should I be uh, asking about technology I'll need to invest in? Those kinds of questions that will help them understand the real barriers to entering the market and what they can expect to get out of the market. Yeah. So the resources are on the Ohio Corn and Wheat website. Yes. OhioCornandWheat.org slash carbon. Uh, and that's that's going to be a living page there. We're going to continue to update it as information develops. Awesome. So if I had any questions on a tactical approach of how to handle these conversations, I can find that on the website then. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, we're not there to tell you, yes, you should or no, you shouldn't get into one of these markets. And we're not endorsing any one given program over the others. You know, we are investing in research to help get to uh, you know, that ROI piece, you know, so there are some times where we are going to be working directly with some of these programs more than others, but the decision has to be grower driven. It needs to remain voluntary, whether or not a grower is going to participate in one of these markets, because not all of these programs are going to be right for every grower. All of them have different uh, details. And as we all know, the devil is in the details on contracts like this. So, we take a, an agnostic approach to the different programs. You know, we just want to make sure our growers, A, understand the terms that are being used and B, know what questions to ask. And that's what they can find on the website. So when we talk about the forecast of carbon credits and what that looks like in the future, is this a temporary something that we see with just the administration or is this something like long-term? Is this political, you know, looking ahead, where do you see this going? There's absolutely a political component to this, but early on in our talk, I mentioned that the, the shift toward carbon markets happened well before the 2020 election. That's really important, okay? For those of us who've been around for a little bit of time, we remember conversations as early as the 90s about cap and trade. And some of the growers who, who listen to your podcast are going to remember discussions about cap and trade. 
carbon credits are an evolution of that. And the political conversation has been happening around this for a while. But what's most important is the change in consumer demand, okay? When you look at millennials, my generation, and you look at Gen Zs like you, uh, there are very different consumer preferences at play compared to previous generations. Millennials are purpose-driven in our purchasing habits. When you look at a company like Tom's uh, for, for footwear, Tom's is really uh, ingrained in the millennial community, not just because they have a good product, but because the product is empowering uh, a bigger purpose, a service to humanity, right? So when you look at agriculture and food moving forward, um, millennials, what that consumer preference translates to is a, a preference towards sustainably grown food. Uh, that may not be organic food, but sustainably grown food. And it, it's amazing to see what companies like Chipotle are doing. You know, Chipotle on your receipt, if you order online, if you scroll down a little bit further past the, the bottom line of cost, it shows you how many acres uh, were sustainably grown to supply your meal. It shows the carbon reduction of your meal. And that is specifically targeted at millennials and Gen Zers. Millennials, because we are in the point in our career where we are the largest consumer group within the country, and Gen Z is on our heels and going to be entering that category very soon. So companies are starting to tailor their sourcing to meet that consumer demand. I, I really can't drive that home enough. As much as we see this talked about within the Biden administration, it was talked about in the Trump administration and the administration before that and back all the way to the 90s. But politics moves at the speed of government. These programs are moving at the speed of consumer demand, the speed of business. That's really important to keep in mind. So do you think that because it's running on two different speeds, do you think that's causing any challenges? Oh, absolutely. I mean, government always struggles to keep up from a regulatory standpoint. And what that means for growers is that these markets are evolving right now. They are putting out prices for uh, what, a what a producer can receive for the carbon that they sequester. But that number seems really low. And it probably is right now. Um, you know, We don't know quite where the market's gonna go. I can't predict to you what uh, a carbon credit's gonna sell for in 15 years. But right now growers are saying, I, 10 bucks an acre, that's not worth it for me. And it may not be. In the future, it may be more. At that point, it may not be worth it. I would say the, the best thing that the federal government can do right now is what they're trying to do within the Growing Climate Solutions Act. And that act at the federal level, passed out of the Senate, working its way through the House, doesn't set USDA up to sell credits. But what it does is through USDA, would, uh, the, the bill would empower USDA to establish a, a bank of information for growers um, to identify the, the good actors within the, these emerging carbon markets. And it would set up some standardization of what, what the terms mean, uh, what uh, good practices look like uh, across the country. And that, that, I think, will help alleviate some not all, but some of the fears that growers understandably have right now. But that bill is limited in nature. It doesn't create a carbon bank for growers to go sell to USDA directly. And I would argue it shouldn't. Uh, but 
it is a step in the right direction. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think federal policy uh, is going to catch up any time in the near term, even with uh, an administration that is seemingly more interested in this topic. So I know we're talking a lot about the political administration piece, but is there anything that the corn checkoff is doing um, that's contributing to carbon credit mm-hmm. kind of conversation? Absolutely. Uh, so the, the first decision that the corn checkoff uh, made was they are sponsoring that website piece for ohiocornweek.org slash carbon. That is a product of the corn checkoff and the small grains checkoff both help pay for that. And that site, very important here, there's a clear line. It is not policy related on that website. That is a resource for growers to have access to information, period. Where the corn checkoff and the small grains checkoff uh, really uh, have the the most influence in in all of this work is on identifying research to help answer some of these big questions that we have, especially around uh, return on investment. And the corn checkoff is uh, working on uh, supporting multiple programs across the state, primarily with nonprofit entities that are going to study A, that return on investment, help develop tools for growers to understand their own potential for sequestering carbon. And here's a really important piece. Also studying the overlap and benefit between carbon sequestration and other benefits like water quality work. And if our growers sit back and look at the the best practices that are being espoused by these carbon market programs, so many of them overlap perfectly with what we also see as beneficial long-term for soil health and uh, keeping phosphorus and nitrates on the field and out of the water supply. Um, All of that work overlaps really, really well, but we wanna make sure that growers are benefiting from programs that could potentially stack credits. So there, you know, everyone's talking about carbon markets, but there's another market emerging around ecosystem services credits. And that those ecosystem services credits are all about water quality and soil health. And if you can take an $8, $10 payment for carbon, but also get a $20 payment, $25 payment for the phosphorus that you're already sequestering on your field because of your good practices, well, now you're talking about a $35 credit. And that might, that might move the needle a little bit more. Awesome. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot and heard a lot, but I've also prompted myself to do more research. So I'll check out the Ohio Corner Wheat website to see what more information you have there. But one last question for you, Luke, and this mm-hmm. is something I ask all podcast guests. Um, so in agriculture, if we think of it as a giant table, everyone has a seat. Maybe it's a farmer and a producer, and it's a very direct um, connection. And maybe, you know, it's a little bit more uh, adverse, I guess, but still very important. So um, where is your seat at the table um, when it comes to agriculture? That is a really good question. I like how you frame that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not the producer. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the same challenges that the growers we represent uh, do, uh, and I don't have their voice. But maybe I'm the, uh, maybe I'm the guest you invite to help spur conversation. Maybe I'm the guy who can make friends with just about anyone and keep the conversation going. I, I like that as my role uh, at the table um, because I, you know, 
my family farmed long before I, I came along. My dad raised me with an appreciation for it. And clearly my work here at Ohio Corn and Wheat has, has reinforced that appreciation. But really, I, I approach most of our issues with a consumer mindset. And I think that that's my best role at that table is helping the grower engage in conversation with the policymaker across the table, engage with the consumer down at the end of the table uh, and help bridge those gaps. That's that's my role. I'm the, the annoying party guest uh, who can just keep talking. I love that. That was great. Well, thank you, Luke. I appreciate your time today and for talking with us. Thanks, Mallory. I appreciate you and wish you all the best.